This is the one. It's the time of the year, there's a hole in my bank Has my pay not come through? I'm drawing a blank Was it online fraud? Was it a spending spree? No, it, it's the ICGP membership fee But where's it? 558 558 Why is it so much? Is it some mistake? No, it's 558 my friend's a medic, she's a member of a college She pays 200 pounds if she's happy in the knowledge She's supporting the team We all want representation But a monkey and two ponies is some kind of aberration And it's 558 558 Where does the money go? Yeah, for goodness sake 558 Perhaps I should have moaned not the most expensive The surgeons cost even more slightly And I think they're just trying to be competitive Maybe I should go to the AGM And get my dinner paid for me Do some online learning Or a well-being Zoom for free Try and get a job in the shiny HQ In the city where I could be paid To sit in meetings about meetings about meetings Tea and biscuits come for free Does the money go? For goodness sake, 558. 558! 558! You can claim it against tax, but that's still not that great, yeah! 550! 558! It's Friday, the 18th of March, and this is the Hot Topics Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Um, thanks for joining us once again on the Hot Topics Podcast. It's Neil Tucker here from NB Medical, ready to take you through the next 20 minutes or so on the latest news and research relevant to us in primary care. Uh, I've got to try and remember to stay upbeat and jovial today. Hence, we've started out with a song. For the record, I don't hate the RCGP. Actually, I think it's full of lots of really good people doing really lots of really good things for general practice. And particularly, a big thank you to all those people who give up their time and volunteer to do loads of work with the organisation. My hat goes off to you. But it has been a really difficult three weeks uh, since the last podcast a lot of stuff's happened. We've got the war in Ukraine, an absolutely desperate situation. Um, millions of people displaced. We are going to have um, many thousands of refugees from the Ukraine coming over here to the UK. 
they're not just going to need accommodation or financial support. They're going to need medical care as well. They're going to have to have their physical and mental health addressed. Now, one of the presenters with MB Medical, Andy Ward, he's got a special interest in this area. And he asked the office if he could put on a webinar for migrant health. So we're going to be doing that in the next few weeks. Come and join us Tuesday, the 26th of April. It'll be an evening webinar, completely free. If you want to just find out what we can be doing to try and make a bit of a difference for those pa- those people who are going to be coming over here, displaced from their own country and affected by war. Meanwhile, in UK general practice, it's also been troubling times if you are a GP, particularly a GP partner in a practice in England. So yes, it's that time of the year or every couple of years where the contract is reviewed and fantastic news. NHS England have decided to not change our core contract. Everyone breathed a sigh of relief and then there's the killer blow. The good news is we don't have to shaft you with the corn contract anymore. We can do that in a myriad of different ways. We successfully demonstrated the effectiveness of PCNs by brilliantly vaccinating the population in its time of need, even going the extra mile, working evenings and weekends if necessary to save those lives. Well, we were so effective, NHS England has now decided that why not apply this good hard work to routine care and do that in all hours of the day. And practices are truly between a rock and a hard place. You can come out of your PCN. You don't have to do this. But of course, then you're losing all of your additional funding. You're effectively going to have to sack all those really great staff we've worked hard to um, employ and train, um, integrate into the practice team over the last few years. No one wants to see that. On the other hand, many of those very same staff have come out of hospital jobs. And um, make no mistake, we have been gutting the hospitals of qualified staff where they flood into general practice because they want to get rid of evenings and weekends. They want to not do the hospital on calls and primary care was the perfect place for that. Well, not anymore. Practices were already having difficulty recruiting additional roles practitioners. There's already been a Brexit exodus. Well, now it's going to be even harder to recruit when we say, well, actually, do you know what? I need you to work till eight this evening and I need you to work um, nine till five on a Saturday as well. And let's be honest, the conditions in general practice are often not that great. And I think it would surprise none of us. If we started to see an exodus out of primary and back into secondary care, who does that leave to do the work? Well, the salary GPs may legitimately turn around and say, hang on a second, this is not in my contract. I think salary GPs these days stand up for their rights much more. Who does that leave? Well, back to the partners again, who I really think have been truly screwed by this. Of course, there's always going to be a question about funding. And I'm recording this actually on Wednesday. I see an email from Pulse has literally just popped up in my inbox saying that PCNs are going to be paid £7.46 per patient to run these extended hours. So what's that? Um, If you're in a PCN of around 50,000, that's going to be £370,000 to run this service. 
Will practices truly add more appointments or will they simply shift them from during normal hours to extended hours? Will they have any choice because there may be no extra staff to do the additional work? At a point where the health service is just getting back up off its knees, where general practice is still licking its wounds and may still need to be delivering further COVID vaccines to its patients as well, this seems like a staggering decision from NHS England. Now, did I promise to try and keep this upbeat and jovial? All right, let's have some good news. Some good news is that a think tank somewhere signed off by the health secretary has decided that the whole profession becoming salaried would be a positive thing. But if it's going to happen, we really need some control over it. In the same think tank report, they talk about NHS trusts running these GP practices or large organisations read private providers. Are these truly the best tools for the job? The former doesn't understand what general practice does. The latter is likely to prioritise the bottom line over patients and staff. On the positive side, everything takes ages. So if you are a new GP that's just come through, if you're someone who's just come out of secondary care, you're a pharmacist, you're um, a paramedic and you're joining the primary care team, don't worry, the chances are that we'll all have retired and possibly the country will be underwater before any changes actually happen. Now, blimey, I'm almost 10 minutes into the podcast. I haven't even talked about the research today. The good news from the last three weeks is that there's been loads of good research, um, loads of really interesting papers. So we're going to have a look at a timely paper in the BJGP. We're going to have a look at a new paper in the BMJ on the management of recurrent UTIs. And let's throw something about COVID in there from JAMA. Okay, actually, my favourite paper of the last few weeks was in The Lancet. The title was Transmission of SARS-CoV-2 Delta Variant from Pet Hamsters to Humans, Leading to Onward Human-to-Human Transmissions, a Case Study. Now, I don't see a lot about hamsters written in The Lancet, so this is very welcome. I've recently visited some friends who have bought a hamster. And I also note that their whole family have recently had COVID. So personally, I didn't trust it from the moment I sought it. It locked my gaze with its black rodenty eyes. Never once do I think it blinked, but I feel like it did have a wry smile on its face just looking at, at us going, I got you. I got you real good. Now, this paper in The Lancet essentially showed that um, a hamster in a pet shop seems to have infected a bunch of other hamsters in a pet shop. Although rabbits, guinea pigs and chinchillas seem to have escaped it. However, the owner of the pet shop did not. I'll be honest, I'm not entirely sure how they demonstrated that it wasn't the pet shop owner giving the hamster COVID rather than the other way around. But I think they did some sort of clever genetic testing to work out which direction it was travelling in. Sadly, at no point in this paper did they give us any indication as to how the hamsters were doing. I don't know how bad SARS-CoV-2 is for hamsters. There were no reported deaths and I wonder if the hamsters had all got together in a bit of moral support and chatted about their symptoms. Perhaps some type of hamster support group. Yeah, everyone said that Covid's really bad. One of the worst things is affect your sense of taste, but I seem fine. Everything I choose still tastes of cardboard. What have we learned from this? Your pets may give you COVID, 
But if you're triple vaccinated, please don't cull them. Now on to the BJGP and there's another fantastically diverse range of research and opinions in Journal this month and its focus is on marginalised people. It's not about refugees, it can't have predicted the war in Ukraine, but it does cover migrants, it covers mental health, it covers personality disorders and much more besides. In fact, the standout piece for me is in their life and times section and it's entitled the triple f-u-c-k syndrome it argues that a diagnosis or label of personality disorder can not only be unhelpful but may be harmful and unjust i'll give you a quote from the paper so the triple f-u-c-k f-u-c-k disorder So I have to spell it out because if I say it, then I have to tick a box on the podcast description that says it's got explicit material in it. And if there's one thing I'm certain about, I'm not certain about anything when I talk about the podcast, but if there's one thing I'm certain about, it's that I ain't Kanye West. Anyway, the triple F-U-C-K disorder describes a triple interlocking societal oppression where medicine holds the key for the final padlock. The first F-U-C-K occurs by exposing children to trauma caused by poverty. The second is created by blaming those children as they grow into adults for displaying behaviours caused by that trauma. And the final F-U-C-K is the pseudoscientific medical construct of personality disorder. The final one belongs to the cruelest of oppressions as it robs the victim of both their core existential selves and the one factor that could allow them to resist oppression, the the social perception of their sanity. Took me a while to process some of that, but it's well worth a read. It's very thought-provoking. Now, one of the original research articles in the BJGP is also very timely. As I see in the news this week, we seem to have reached the highest level of mental health referrals ever in the UK. Things really have sort of they've gone off the rails a bit, haven't they? So this is a timely piece of research on the perspectives of young people who access support for mental health in primary care. So it's a systematic review of their experiences and needs. This is qualitative research. Not everything can or needs to be a randomised controlled trial. This gives us a good idea about what young people value. And what do they value the most? A trusting relationship to discuss sensitive issues. To enable this, we need unhurried consultations and the ability to maintain continuity of care. Like much of general practice, It ain't rocket science, but it's not necessarily easy to do it well. Of course, we talked about the importance of continuity of care on the podcast a couple of episodes ago. That was also some great research from the BJGP. I'm still conscious that I'm part of that problem. NHS England, in case you're listening, the way to improve continuity of care is not by offering longer hours, evenings and weekends. It is by making sure you retain staff improve their working lives, reduce the intensity, you will have more people that will be able to work longer hours and continuity will improve. Next, we have a paper in the BMJ and this is a a randomized control trial that's looking to see whether methenamine hipparate could be an appropriate alternative to prophylactic antibiotics in women with recurrent UTIs. 
So we know the main issue here, antibiotic resistance is on the rise. If we give people long-term antibiotics, then that's a, a perfect vehicle for driving further resistance. But equally, you can't leave women who have recurrent UTIs to just keep on getting recurrent UTIs. So is there a non-antibiotic alternative? Mephenamine is hydrolyzed to formaldehyde in the distal tubules of the kidney. And formaldehyde is a bactericide, so may potentially help prevent infections. We've talked about methenamine on the Hot Topics course before and some of the previous positive data, but the trials have generally been small and in the systematic reviews, they have recommended that further larger trials would be very welcome. So this is a randomized controlled trial, but it's unblinded. So the participants knew what they were receiving. They did this um, for cost purposes, very expensive, doing the sort of a whole double-blind placebo-controlled trials. And they recruited 240 women. 120 of them got methenamine um, twice daily for 12 months, and 120 of them got either nitrofurantoin, trimethoprim, or cephalexin daily for the same duration. No placebo here. This was a non-inferiority trial. So they were comparing methenamine against um, antibiotic prophylaxis, which we know from previous research is an effective way of reducing recurrent UTIs. So by definition, these women with recurrent UTIs had either had at least three in the last year or at least two in the last six months. And the results showed that methenamine and um, antibiotics were both similarly effective. Antibiotics slightly more so, but there wasn't much in it. In the antibiotic group, they had 0.89 episodes per person per year. In the methenamine group, it was 1.38 now, on the one hand, you might feel like the difference sounds quite large there, but let's keep it in perspective. What we're really saying is that that's half a, uh, half a UTI episode per person per year more if you're taking methenamine. So clinically, that's not a huge difference, especially considering the fact that many of these women will have had substantial numbers of UTIs. They're still getting a big drop from their baseline and they're avoiding the need for long-term antibiotics. Lastly, we're going to have a look at a JAMA paper that discusses the durability of COVID anti-spike antibodies in infants after birth comparing um, mums who have had vaccinations or natural COVID infections. Of course in the UK COVID vaccines are being routinely offered to women who are pregnant. There is um, perhaps understandably sometimes still reluctance to have a vaccination during the pregnancy. Mums-to-be may be worried about the potential effects on the child, even though, as far as we know, the vaccine is extremely safe. But this paper strengthens the argument for vaccination during pregnancy, not just from the perspective of personal protection, but enduring protection for the infant as well. So whether you get COVID natural infection and natural immunity, 
during the pregnancy or whether you have the vaccination. Either way, those maternal antibodies are then passed through the placenta into the infant, giving some degree of protection. Now, this study showed that those children who received natural immunity by six months, only 8% of them still had measurable antibodies. In the vaccination group, where the mums had had over 50% of the infants, still had measurable antibodies. It's a substantial difference and arguably challenges the idea that natural immunity is best. In fact, it may be that vaccination-derived immunity, particularly through multiple vaccinations, comes out top. For those pregnant women uncertain about the vaccination, this may be the information that swings it for them. Okay, that's enough from me today. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Remember, do you get in touch? Hot Topics at mbmedical.com. Um, Twitter at GP Hot Topics. You can carry on the discussion on GP Horizon, our free and secure forum for primary care health professionals and don't forget to have a look at the website for the latest course dates we'll be doing some um, webinars for the latest spring hot topics course we're doing one um, tomorrow on the 18th of march we'll be doing another one um, in a couple of weeks after that also we've got our urgent care course diabetes course um, abnormal bloods course all of those are coming up in the very near future as well there's a whole load going on don't forget to sign up for NB Plus, our subscription service where everything is included. And most of all, don't forget to have a good weekend. Enjoy yourself. Bye-bye.